Yeah, crane season opens, I believe, September 9th. So <laughs> I'm just checking my calendar. How many people are excited about Sandhill crane season? I think so they got 100 people draw that tag. So you got to get your game cameras down like here by two days before the season starts, huh? Right. Just, just yeah. in case. You got a few, you got a few <laughs> big old, what do, what do they even call a, is it a, is it a Tom? Is it a. Just go with a bull crane. Yeah. Bull <laughs> crane. <laughs> <laughs> what do you what do you count on a crane? The length of, of its length of its legs or its beak or it's gotta be the beak length. <laughs> you yeah. score its beak. It's gotta be a fourteen incher. To... Yeah, that's a nice beak. Look at the beak on it. Well, it's a twelve <laughs> foot and then some. Yeah. to the RNA Outdoors podcast fueled by Ripcord Arrowrest and First Light Hunting Apparel. At RNA, we are public land DIY conservationists that love to share our passion for the outdoors. So join us and our team as we interview professionals in the industry to share insight knowledge that helps make hunters and anglers more successful. listeners, subscribers, and fellow outdoorsmen and women. This is your host, Lucas Paw, and I'm excited to tell you about some of the sponsors that continue to help make this podcast not only happen, but grow and thrive in this digital world of audio content. This podcast is brought to you by Ripcord Arrowrest, the bow hunter's number one fallaway rest on the market. Ripcord is known for 100% full-time arrow containment and their patented drop-dead brake system that eliminates launcher bounce back. Best of all, Ripcord is backed by their rock-solid guarantee. If the original owner has a part break for any reason, it will be repaired or replaced at no charge. And did I mention? Ripcord is located in southwest Montana, where all their products are made with pride in America. Check them out at ripcordarrest.com and on their social media feeds. This podcast is brought to you by First Light Clothing and Hunting Apparel. Born in the Rockies in central Idaho, First Light's mission is to create simple yet proven versatile gear that provides comfort and performance in any situation while working to promote the pursuit of ethical hunting and stewardship. I recently joined the First Light Pro staff team and have continued to be impressed year after year in their innovations in engineering and merino wool fabrics. Ten years ago, they started putting out wool fabrics with camo patterns, and immediately this changed the game. Since then, they offer multiple layering systems and kits in various proprietary patterns and continue to raise the bar with their competition. Find them online at firstlight.com or under their social media feeds. Go farther, stay longer. All right, welcome, folks, to the RNA Outdoors podcast. I'm sitting here in Polaris, Montana, with two gentlemen that uh, I would consider partners, but also good friends of the uh, RNA Outdoors productions, facilities, podcast, etc. Ben Miller uh, to my left here, sporting some first light gear. Uh, recently, just uh, got himself a little arrow wool shirt, and uh, I think he's kind of liking it because he's got it on right now. Yeah, it took me about eight minutes to put it on. Filling out that extra small pretty good. Yeah. You look good. What'd Maya say when you put the shirt on? Well, Maya's a long ways away right now, but (laughs) I think she's going to like it. (laughs) And to Ben's immediate left is his relative brother-in-law, Mr. Tyler Houston, his on the inaugural number one podcast, episode one here almost a year ago, we yeah. did a show with Tyler, and he's since been in um, 
overseas and working, and now he's back in Montana here in Polaris. So welcome back, Tyler, to the Arnie Outdoors podcast. Thank you. Glad to be back in Montana. Been missing this place for years, that's for sure. Yeah. It's good to be back here in the, I would say, blue sky state, but it's kind of like the gray sky, red sky, nasty particulate air. I don't know. It's been bugging me. I don't know about you guys. We've been spending the last five, six days chasing elk, and it's been kind of tough at 8,000 feet trying to get a good you know, breath of fresh air. I'm sure I woke you up a couple of night, times last night when I was sneezing and hacking. Well, it wasn't camp that on the Tyvek. Yeah. The crinkle paper I decided I was going to sleep on. Your I was like, sleeping what is he yeah. doing over there? Yeah, so we spent a night under the stars last night. We spiked in, been doing some elk hunting, and actually had a, a pretty fun time. We had uh, the three of us, and we also had RNA ambassador, Mr. Nick Hager, who's a pack mule, I'll say the least. The cool thing about Nick is, is when you take him in anywhere, he doesn't say anything. He'll never tell you how he really feels. And he'd pack he'd pack anything out for you till his freaking ankles broke. I mean, the, his, guy, the guy is just a horse. Or his boots blew out. Yeah, well, those, those were blown out. What actually made him buy a new pair of boots? I... He might have got a little water in them last year, considering there were probably more holes than there was actually leather on them still. So. That was my joke this year. I said, Nick, what's it like not having wet socks? <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. Still it's, not used to it, probably. Yeah. Like that. It's good to be here with you guys. It's been the first time uh, we could all get together, just yeah. missing your brother. And yeah, exactly. On him, so. so just a little history. You know, RNA Outdoors started roughly about a year and a half ago, and, uh, you know, we we didn't really kick off the podcast. We kind of started it with, um, you know, some social media and kind of a, a spin Ben and I have had for a few years and just trying to figure out, you know, where's our niche or what makes sense. And then we started the podcast and, you know, it was a year ago, we actually, um, did our first podcast. So this is kind of cool to come back to the location to where we actually, a lot of this podcast started a year ago and it was Tyler and I, and, uh, Mr. Wounded Knee himself, um, Mr. Spent Quiver, Brandon Williams, who couldn't be here this year due to other reasons, uh, family reasons, but he's here with us in spirit. But um, yeah, and it's been a year. It's crazy to think where we've come in a year and it's just been kind of fun, you know, using social media to, to post all the stuff that we're doing and making a little money here and there, po- you know, selling some t-shirts and hats and getting some pretty good um, hosts on our podcasts and guests over the last year and just look forward to, you know, this cup coming year to see kind of where we go and where this, you know, takes us. Yeah, me too, for sure. I think we've got a, we actually have some good hunts lined up this year. You know, we've already, what are we, about six days into, uh, not even four days, five days into five the, days into elk season. Into the elk season here. here in Montana, and we do have some success already. So yeah. looking forward, and I know, Lucas, you got a long couple weeks still left uh, oh yeah try to fill that deer tag and antelope tag up here in montana then head down to arizona and chase some big bulls down there and you know we all got a few hunts lined up ben and i'll be chasing critters around here in montana pretty much the rest of the fall and winter and try and drag them down to see if he can pack out some buffalo meat for me this october or december in uh down in wyoming yeah that's gonna be some good meat i'm excited looking forward well, to that we'll have to buy two freezers for that yeah yeah, I think we're going to use horses for that, just can, you know, compared to the pack out that we did for one mile today. I couldn't imagine packing one of those one mile. I don't think a guy could put a buffalo on his back. I'm not sure 10 guys could pack out a buffalo. Yeah, we, well, that's why I put in for that Sandhill crane tag and was successful. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about that, Ben. I mean, you got some pretty big hunts lined up. I have. You've, I had a very successful draw season this year i drew the elusive fall turkey and uh sandhill crane and when you get a sandhill crane tag they give you two because they're such uh, good eating birds so i've talked to some area ranchers around the valley and hopefully i can help them out with some damage control hunts and uh Get some sandhill crane on the table for me and my family. So the little sandhills actually kind of eat those farmers out of house and home. It's kind of like they, yeah. they shoot like, like a depredation, elk, yeah. or they just tearing the the crop out, or what? Well, you know, I'm just trying to do my part, helping them guys out. I'm not sure what they cause or do to their fields, but uh, there's 
seems like there's a lot of ranchers out there that don't don't want them around much. So how do you you do Traeger? How do you do the sandhill crane? I that's uh, I'm gonna guinea pig on that. I'm gonna take two breasts out of them and I'll Traeger one, and then I'm gonna try jerky in the other side. Okay. So we'll. What's we'll, your method of take on a sandhill crane? Well, I'd love to do it with archery, but I'm guessing I'm gonna do it shotgun. Get their flight pattern. Get there early in the morning, and uh, hope they do what they did the day before. Tell us about. So you said you got a, a fall turkey hunt. Is it a Merriam's turkey here, or is it a Eastern or Rio Grande, or it's all the above? <laughs> so I'm going turkey hunting. <laughs> they, Years ago, so, so we're guessing you're pretty experienced at turkey hunting. So here, it's right? it's probably not Osceola turkey. It's, it's, it's probably not, Merriam's. It's not from Florida. Like okay, it's not a Florida turkey. At least I hope it's not. But also, again, I you know talked to some ranchers and they have problems with the turkeys late in the fall getting on their haystacks and eating all the eating their hay and crapping all over it. So I'm gonna hopefully go out and help get one of them out of there fields or off their haystacks method of take there would be that will be bow that'll cool. be archery so i'm really excited about that so you're gonna warm up the old the old switchback switchbacks got its last year hopefully i think it's time to get you upgraded yeah yeah it's what's, back you, old. What, what's your max distance on that switchback i like 40 yards that's good i'm confident i don't like to go over that that's kill zone that's kill zone you were you were sticking that Reinhardt at forty today. Yeah, pretty solid. After a good little hike in the woods, I always like to shoot my bow after hiking it around and beating it up a little bit and dropping it on the ground and glassing and everything else, and it was still shooting well. Making sure that true glow sight's still yeah still true. Yep, it's still on. So this year it's been kind of a an odd year based on the fire season. You know, there's a there's a big fire. That's you know there's a there's a there's a pretty good fire in the Lolo Pass right now and then of course the fire um, that's burning um, what's the big one burning right now? What is it, Marias or something over by Whitehall? Is that what? Uh, well, there's fires all around. Yeah, there's, bunch, yeah. but it's it's pretty sad. I mean, I think there's actually one around Lincoln too that's burning kind of in the Missoula area. That's even they're they're talking about could be drifting a lot of the uh, the smoke this way, but. It was interesting yesterday when we were elk hunting, um, it just clears up. I mean, it was as clear as day. I mean, we were sitting on the mountainside at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you know, just looking up, seeing a blue sky, and then within three hours, you know, we're back up on the ridge and just socked in with smoke. And, uh, you know, what's your guys' take in terms of what that does to the animals? Do you think that the smoke affects the animals when we're out there hunting them, or do you think it's makes them a little more hypersensitive based on the environmental conditions that they live in. I don't know. I mean, I think based on the last few days, it definitely helped. I wouldn't say they've changed their patterns much. They've still been bugling, and it seems like you can get in on them a little easier. Smoke maybe messes up their senses, and even if the wind, either way, it doesn't matter. If you you got the wind downwind yeah. of you, and you walk in front of an elk, most likely going to smell you. But I think it helps. definitely helps. It's not that fun to walk around and hike in and no. chase them around, but... It helps mask your scent a bit, you know. Yeah. If they can, they can hear you. They can see you. They smell you. They're gone. Yep. There's a, so it might help. Yeah, I think. Outside looking in, I figured it would kind of hurt, make their senses a little stronger, make them bed down, hunker down, not move around much. But after last night's hunt, in the smoke. We did have wind. Um, I think it kind of helps the hunter. Gives us a little bit of advantage. They can't quite smell us. Lucas has been on the hill for five days, six, six days. days. He can only imagine how he smelled. Um, <laughs> the elk didn't seem to care. No, they didn't. We, we made a few good stalks and got in pretty close on some elk. And I don't know what else it was, but... We we did have a little bit of wind. How was your guys' lungs going up Triangle? How'd that feel? Oh, yeah. We named we renamed that ridge. 
Yeah, we did. So, so yeah, lucky Explicit. you guys. You guys, I came in late because I had to <clears throat> take the girls to kindergarten. Oh, that came was a in grind. late, hiked all the way from the bottom. They got to have their camp dropped off up top because we were spiking out. So I had to hike up that ridge full. Uh, what full do you think your pack weight? Up. I don't know. It wasn't that heavy because I know we were only going in for two to three days max. Yeah. So I was probably still 40, 50 pounds maybe. I've hiked in with a lot of water. I'm I'm more like a camel than like you guys. Yeah, you drink. You're constantly drinking off that yeah, camelback. Yeah. I'm not so much a water fun. drinker and eater on the mountain. It's kind of weird. Yeah, Lucas. It's probably showed, not good. What do you show up with a bag of trail mix and a twelve ounce liter, twelve ounce bottle of water, just a Gatorade, and one Gatorade just to get a little, a little sugar in the system. Yeah, balance out. So how'd you feel after working on that elk all night? Because we haven't talked about this success yet at all. We've still been... Uh... No, it was... I was I was pretty tired. I'll say, you know, week six. week. So it's five days into the season, but I spent all most of the day Friday up there hiking around and doing some scouting. So we spent six days on the mountain. But on the third day of the season, I did about 12 and almost 12 miles going in and you guys have done that that same hike that I did and coming out in the dark and um it's a long day and that's when I realized that I can do this probably maybe twice but um it's time to spike in and that's when we all decided to you know throw a bivy on our our um, our pack and throw a little extra water and food in and and spend the night there which we did and ended up being a pretty good deal based on the fact that where we camped at and where we harvested at were within a few hundred yards of each other. I'm not sure we could have choreographed that any better, but oh, that was just amazing. I mean, uh, <laughs> hiking all the way down there, you guys hike all the way down basically to pick me up, see if there's any elk down there. We turn around, hike all the way back, and elk are within two, three hundred yards of where the spike camp was set up. So, with hydration and meals, so we tried a couple different okay. today. I yeah. know I want to. We want to put this together at some point. We know some people. So Mountain House, and we tried some of those oatmeals that mm-hmm. you were using. What's your take on the difference in the two? Um, well, for me, it's based on if you're looking at nutritional balance or nutritional you know, value versus um, you know, just trying to put food in your system. I think you know, the oatmeals, you're getting you know, real food. You're getting... Um, you're not getting the caloric intake and the sodium that you're getting out of Mountain House, um, but I think you're getting a better product, and you're getting something that doesn't require a bunch of prep work. It's add water, add Gatorade, add urine if you had to, add any liquid to it. Chemical reaction occurs, heats the bag up, it gives you a spoon and a salt and pepper, and your meal's ready in five minutes. Yeah, the one that's the convenient. Thing I saw that was a huge advantage of that is the difference in water usage so if you're you know in the back country you're high up and you know you don't have a lot of access to water it's like three to five ounces in one yep. of those oatmeals versus you're talking sometimes eight to 16 ounces of water on those mountain houses yeah so i mean there's a lot more sodium i know ben and i kind of split <clears> the last one but it was a. Uh, it's definitely different you know i mean if you're back in the back country i think you're better off going with something like the oatmeal yeah you know the, the mountain houses are they're you know commercially you know, packaged and they're, they've been known for years and people have been using them for years and they're, you know, they've sold themselves by their name over the years. But I think there's a lot other options now that are healthier for you, provide you probably a, a better option in the backcountry, uh, and, you know, calorically are probably better for you than taking in something that's got, you know, thousand plus grams of sodium that for us isn't a bad thing because we're exerting a lot of that energy. But, um, I always say that, you know, that what you put in your body is, is more critical than, you know, obviously, um, anything out there because, you know, it's like putting gas in your car. If you put, if you put bad gas in your car, it's not going to run well. So, but at the same time, you know, mountain houses are, are a good product too. Yeah. They, they ate up good last night. That was a bad one. Your old meals you had, they were good too. What Nick, uh, Nick Nick brings Nick, a different the pack horse he was on he didn't even have a chef board he, he was wore out he had uh, he had a couple cans in his backpack though I think trail mix and a... he does do chef boyardee though he likes the raviolis out of the can yeah. right there and he'll, he'll, he'll take up. a twig and he'll just pop the ravioli and put it right in his mouth he's twenty five he's a lot tougher than us he is he's a lot tougher 
He's a pack horse, though. He doesn't. He doesn't go through nearly as many wet wipes as we do. This is Nick Hager, <laughs> recording to you from Paso Robles, California, recording of the RNA Outdoors podcast. <laughs> no, Nick's good. Nick's good. Good people. Yeah. So you know, I, I, I think if if I had to choose, I would choose the oatmeal's just based on their lighter. They're easier to assemble and they're easier to prepare, and you know, I think they're a better product, but. Um, you know, Heather's Choice is another one you and I have talked about um, that are, you know, they're kind of pricey to some extent, but you're getting a dehydrated meal that's actual real. You know, they, she does a salmon one. She does uh, like a chowder. She does a couple different styles, the, the macaroons that they all, everyone talks about that are really good. Um, but you pay for that. But again, you know, when you're in the backcountry, <laughs> like you said, how many wet wipes you want to pack in your pack? <laughs> Mountain House, you're going to need a whole slew of them versus oh, yeah. eating a real, you know, a real food product where you're probably processing it better than all that sodium. Well, and not to get off subject, but speaking of paying for things, we learned that firsthand, what, this last couple days? You got good stuff. You pay good money for stuff. You don't have to buy it again. I think everyone in this room understands that now as we're getting older and we can start affording things and yeah hunting packs boots boots right camo yeah we were giving to poor nick the other <laughs> he's not here so we get to throw him under the bus a little. yeah teasing him a little bit about i don't know first first camo i said i bought at walmart that's what he pulled he out, out his, underneath his, his Max shirt. One Real Tree shirt. My Max One Real Tree from Walmart. Yeah, I mean it works. Who cares? I mean you don't need to be you don't need no. to have the best stuff to be successful. But man, it, it sure does make you comfortable on the mountain. That's for sure. Yeah. So you know, especially this first light stuff you've been you've been sporting and wearing, and we're all using different things except you for the most part for right now. But it's been uh, definitely helped. I've definitely yeah changed my gear program. And, pack and ben and i got the same pack now that we uh we uh purchased a few years ago and it's yeah. really helpful packing out meat that's for sure the ultralight systems now i think have just changed the game and you get one company that designs something and then you get another company that tries to top the other company and they just continue to you know one-up each other yeah i'll try that <laughs> <laughs> the wife's coming down bringing us food <laughs> she's the camping wife <laughs> but What's your guys' thoughts on, I mean, you guys have all used the different companies. I mean, it's no secret, Sitka, Kuyu, First Light. I mean, what's your guys' feedback overall on the different systems that you have? Because we all, we all use a different product. You know, I've used, I haven't used a lot of First Light, just kind of, I don't know why, I just haven't really been into it that from the very beginning, but... I've really started to use some more the Sika and Kuyu. You know, I I think they're all good products. I think the between First Light, Sika, and Kuyu, you really can't go wrong. I mean, they're really just they do make good products. Some are a little more specialized in things than others, but I think all in all, you can't go wrong using either one. You know, I know I've tried some of the Under Armour gear and stuff, and it's it's a it's a little different. It's probably more. Uh, more suitable for not so much high alpine type hunting in the mountains like we're using but i think you know either way you're you're good with these and compared to the stuff that we used to use using the old cod used to get wet it used to take three hours to dry off and you know you're still staying warm with this gear and it's it's good stuff i mean absolutely you know i've I've been using my first set of first light socks this year and i really enjoy them you know yeah the merino socks are they're they're really nice they're incredible i mean they just keep your feet dry it's amazing you know and we were using you know i know lucas you and i are on the same boot the 400 gram thinsulate um from kenetrex and they still seem even in this warm weather to they dry out fairly quickly you know i don't i've used some old cotton socks in the past or some of the old other type and they're just they just don't yeah nylon cotton blend yeah Ben, you're yeah. a crispy guy. I mean, I've, yeah, I, I've never had crispies, but a lot of people swear by them. Yeah, I. so the weekend for me was, you know, turning on the value and what you pay. And my recommendation is put as much money as you can into a good product. If you uh, have to save up a couple more months or a year maybe to buy a better product, I recommend doing that opposed to buying something cheap and then 
the next year you got to buy it again because you're going to pay twice for the same product. Um, as to gear, um, Lucas's gear was amazing. I mean, the guy was on the hill for six days, and I thought, we are not going to, we need to get you down to town. We need to run you through the shower. You get to get you cleaned up because you're, you, you should stink bad. And that first <laughs> light here, somehow great. that wool just. Yeah, it, it eats that scent up. It's pretty up incredible. Dries out and airs out. It's not uh, to say in my sleeping bag how that smells, but yeah, on the uh, mountain it's pretty incredible that's uh, what that stuff it. does. Yeah, I was. he got me a, got a pair of those first light socks. I had those on for three days straight. I even slept in them one night, got a little cold on oh, Tuesday night or something like that. and Those things were incredible, the, the compression socks. Um, and then I, I'm running those crispy Idaho hunters are a little for narrow feet um i think lucas has really wide feet so yeah he's in a different Ease. ball game i don't know if crispy does that i think they do i yeah. imagine they would but they're narrow they're special sasquatch foot yeah they got good rubber on the bottom they're real quiet uh real comfortable really good with those shaved legs too there lucas i mean it's not too bad <laughs> he's a biker thanks he's a mountain biker <laughs> You should have wore pants. And my you know, pedicure, too. Attaboy. See, I'm wishing I would have had it this year. 44.2 miles the last five days. And let's hear what happened after the, uh, what, about mile 36. Let's break into the story now. Yeah, we... Good segue. Uh, we decided to spike camp in. So we were talking about what do we want to do, where do we want to spike at, where do we want to be, and I had an idea, and... Everyone bought into that idea because I had a, just a sneaking suspicion that we were going to be successful. And um, so we dropped in and, oh, what's a probably a mile in from the road where we drop in at and set up a spike camp. And um, we ended up hunting that morning, heard a few bugles, didn't hear a whole lot, heard a little cow chatter, ended up running into Tyler on the mountain. Tyler had to deal with some family stuff at home and was going to meet up with us and somehow ended up finding us on the mountain. I'm not sure how that happened or orchestrated that, but right in the middle of a hill, it happened. So we, uh, we ended up running to Tyler and we took a little break and sat down underneath the, uh, clear blue sky at the time before the smoke rolled in and took a little nap or playing games, throwing twigs at each other, playing solitaire, just doing stuff to pass the time. And, and it was, about 5.15, which is that time that we all kind of get jazzed up to get going again, and we started kind of working our way back up to camp was our plan. And um, we stopped. Ben, Ben's walking ahead of us, and he goes, oh, let's take a break. And I look over at him, and he goes, don't move. There's an elk for real because we kind of play games on each other. Oh, yeah, there's an elk over there. Where? Well, I don't There's not an elk over there. But... And, of course, I look, and there's a cow there, and she's got us pegged, and then she just starts walking, starts feeding, thinking, okay, there's something there, but I'm not too worried about it. So cow passes, cow passes, spike passes. I get down on my knees, and I'm trying to find a shooting lane, thinking there's got to be a bull in this group. And all of a sudden, I see antlers, you know, moving through the trees. So we all start kind of fanning out, and I think, Ben, were you on the camera or Nick on the camera? I was uh, both. Yeah. Tyler and you went up. Yeah, we filtered up a little bit, and uh, I shot it. There was a cow that had crossed the path in front of the bull um, right at about 65 yards, so I set my set my pin at 65, and that bull crossed through, and once I let that arrow fly, it was like a pinball game. It was ping, ping, ping. I bet it hit at least three branches. I did see the knock travel up to the same level as the bull, but we couldn't find the arrow, so... Which tells me that, you know, clearly didn't hit him. We didn't find any blood. And I'm not sure what happened to that arrow. Yeah, but that was a tight little spot. I was just a couple yards from you, and I had about the same shot as you. And yeah. Probably wasn't the most ethical shot to do on an elk. But yeah, I mean, if you would have slid it through there, you would have Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, there's still that chance of that arrow passing through there completely without, you know, touching any of the branches and, and, and sending its way home. So... 
it was funny. So we sat and we kind of looked for the arrow for a while. And then we started working our way up and heard another bugle and did a few more setups on the way and just said, well, let's just hunt our way back to, to camp. So we did that and we hiked the hill and the, uh, yeah, the, fun hill, the F, F hill <laughs> and got to the top and, you know, sure as, a while. sure as heck we got to the top and we heard a pretty, you know, pretty close bugle and, um, we just started glassing the area. We saw some cows. We saw some spikes. We saw, we heard a, bur- a bull bugle in the distance there. And uh, Ben and I just kind of worked our way down and uh, came to that fence line, which was a little bit of an issue uh, because we had, you know, elk within that basic basic area within, you know, 100 yards. And they've got a fence line that runs between the BLM and the state Montana land. So we had to kick the gate down. And uh, once we got through, um, Tyler and Nick kicked back and, and started doing some calling. And um, you know, what were you thinking, Ben? Because we were, it was, it kind of felt like we were walking through just like a, a grassy marsh. Mm-hmm. There's elk sitting there, you know, 50, 60, 70 yards in front of us, cracking out of the trees, not even worrying about us. And uh, those bulls were just bugling and that having little, their way. Yeah. That little area you guys walked to looked like something like the Yellowstone National Park. <laughs> like, it's, a, it's a great area. <laughs> we crossed through there that morning after setting up Spike Camp. And me and Nick looked in there, and Nick grabbed a tree and said, look at this tree, and it was rubbed. It was a big old pine tree, and it, the, the branches on it were rubbed. And we looked to the left and said, this place is incredible. So we... We said, well, we'll trust Lucas. We'll drop down to the bottom. We'll hike our two miles into where he thought there'd be a lot of elk, and there was a few elk in there maybe. And so later that night, we were back in that exact same park coming in from a different direction. We had the, we had the, uh, we had the wind in our favor. We had Nick drop back calling. We had Tyler kicked over to the edge calling, and me and Lucas were going in, and it was nuts. I've hunted for 20 years bow hunting, and it was right up there with the first year I started before those elk elk bugled, and it was a wild kingdom down there. There was bulls coming from each side, Yeah, cows everywhere. Chuckles on one side, and cows mewing over here, and then bull bugling. Bark. Yeah, yeah. We, had, we had multiple barks, and but it wasn't even like the barks were like warning shots for the other elk to oh. say, hey, there's someone there. They were just like, like a half a grunt, barking, and the bull would bark, and then he would just chuckle. Yeah. You know, and then, then we'd do a cow call, and then we'd bugle at him, and then he's like, oh, okay, you're not something that I didn't think you were. Life's good, and keep moving on. Yeah. But I didn't realize how far you guys up, man. I mean, you guys went in aggressive, which I think was a great tactic because you guys started off probably 100 yards down the, yeah. down the park, down the meadow, and you guys just kept <clears throat> moving up through the timber and – yeah. Got right in because at one point we were cow calling and we thought those bulls were coming, coming into you guys, but I thought we were still too far away. And then uh, Nick and I kind of moved up into the timber a bit to try and get closer and realized you guys were, you guys are another 100, 200 yards up ahead of yeah. us, right in the middle of them. Yeah. So we just kind of, we just kept kind of working our way. I was keeping kind of the same level with you. And then I saw the, I saw the bull that was bugling um, kind of cross down. And out into the into the actual uh, park that we were camped in, and um, we were just working our way through, trying to get close to that bull. And then all of a sudden, heard another bull bugle, and and I walk out, and I literally get outside the tree line into the park, and I see there's like three or four cows and a spike standing there, just got me pegged like crazy, looking at me. Of course, she barks at me, the bull barks. I cow call and bugle and immediately they're like back to feeding, you know, the bull, the bull didn't even really have an issue with, with what was going on. But what was funny was, is as the bull, you know, continued to kind of walk away with his cows, you know, we would throw out a cow call. He would stop. He would start walking back. Then those cows would kind of pull him back. So long story short, um, that bull was out at a hundred and some yards. I took a kind of a shot at him I probably shouldn't have shot and came up pretty low and uh, he ran off ended up calling him back and as he was coming back another six point walked out um, to my right at 50 yards but I was pinned because I, I couldn't shoot through the trees so about three cows had got in front of this bull 
and walked in front of him. And um, the last cow that I shot um, with my rangefinder was at about 85, 86 yards. And uh, the bull walked out right behind where, where that last cow was. And I set my pin at, at 86 yards. And uh, I just remember watching the release as I followed through on my, my shot. And I could just see that knock just travel right in and just bury right behind his front shoulder. And, um, of course, he spun around, hunched up, spun around, pushed the cows and the spike probably about 50 yards, and then they kind of stopped there. Uh, and then I just saw him basically, you know, do the death march and tip over. And <laughs> I was just like, I couldn't believe it, one, you know, because for me, I mean, my bow, is it's a 100-yard shooter, but, you know, I'm, I typically wouldn't shoot at distances like that. Um, but I also do practice a distance like that and trust that, you know, my gear and equipment will, will, will do what it's supposed to do. And this time it did. And I came back and, um, Ben was walking up through the meadow and I was fist pumping a little bit. And of course he's probably looking at me like, what the hell is he doing? What did he, what did he do now is probably what he said. I, I didn't know had he got one or there was still elk bugling and calling, but he had that look on his face like, yeah, I got her done again. Yeah. Yeah. So we walked over and there he was keeled over right there in the park. And yeah, that's true. We had absolutely, Nick and I were only maybe 200 yards down the timberline from him. We had no idea you shot. We didn't think you guys did because we could see the bull and the cows. Yeah. We didn't see the second bull that you ended up shooting. We could see him up on the ridge kind of playing around, coming back and forth. And then we walk up and all I saw was you hold up, you were holding this lighted knock, and we could see it from about 150 yards out going, we look at each other, Nick and I go, he just shooting a bull? He must have shot. Somebody must have shot something. There's a high-fiving now, and couldn't believe it. Walk up there, man, that thing. Yeah. That Ramcat broadhead, man. Yeah. There's some magic behind those. You know, I, we've always been into rage, and then you switched to those Ramcats this year, but, man, I am impressed because yeah. that thing just, that thing just absolutely annihilated that bull from 86 yards. Yeah. You know, we did a podcast Incredible. here. I think it was 27 or 28, um, with Micah Brown, who shoots Ramcat, and he's kind of been, a you know, you know swears by Ramcat broadheads, and he kind of switched me on to those. And, you know, I've, I've taken a couple animals now with them and pretty well convinced that, you know, with the devastation that those things do. And in, in the case of this um, hunt with this elk, um, I didn't make full pass-through where the arrow came out the other side, but... It definitely made pass through, uh, and the broadhead was actually the the chisel tip ferrule was was popping out on the other side of the shoulder. So it completely did what it's supposed to do. And I mean, you guys saw, you know, the the cut diameter that that thing left in that elk. I mean, yeah, I mean that's that's exactly what you want too. I mean, that was one of those quick ethical kills. Yep, that thing watered up within. 50, 60 50. yards yeah you shot it wasn't, that and wasn't far i mean the great thing about it is we didn't have to track at all you just no. go out there in the middle of the meadow right no. in the middle of the meadow it was and guess, perfect and how far was camp boys 150 yards maybe hurts away yeah. got lost. like we knew ben got lost what a we were times doing. trying to find it but it was yeah. <laughs> it was dark out my flashlight was wasn't working very good i learned that uh, pack a lot of batteries when you go hunting at night yeah yeah where'd you learn that from well, Lucas packed a lot of batteries, and they were dead. <laughs> well, I'm not sure if they were dead or if my equipment was bad. Well, there was a couple of them that were bad. Because then we dropped them in that other flashlight, and they seemed to work okay. What but, flashlight was Tyler using last night? What a jeez! What a beamer that was. Speaking of product, what was that? That was a was it the Smith and Wesson. Just got it off Camo Fire. It was like thirty nine bucks. That thing was like a spotlight. Yeah, tiny little thing, and just man, that thing worked great. Actually, that's give me smaller. It has a small clip on it. I can't remember yeah. exactly the model it was, but good lights great, at right? night are important, especially yeah. when you're hacking on them animals, trying to get the tenderloins back straps out. I mean, having good gear is so important. And then, of course, we spent the night in our spike camp there, and you know it got pretty cool last night, and. All of us had our own little setups, sleeping pads and sleeping bags, and we had a bag. few arguments over knives too and stuff. And yeah, we were talking <laughs> about knives, and, and I'm still the Havilon uh, versus the Outdoor Edge. And one pointer, definitely not to sleep on a Tyvek mat. I got a pointer from that from somewhere I listened to, and it's like sleeping on crinkle paper. Yeah, well, if you're by yourself, it's one thing, but when you got three other guys in camp, that Every time you move, it's trying to keep you guys alive. Sounds like someone's laying on aluminum foil. So you put her to bed about 
what two two one thirty last night. Yeah, it was one one thirty by the time we got that bull broke down and, and Tyler quarters hung. Did that tie back crinkle all night long, so no yeah. one slept. But I was fine. Him, I slept right so. through. I was snoozing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was good though. And then in the morning, get that bull all hung up and did a little morning hunt. Yeah. Tyler was in and bugling, chuckling, trying to get that bull. And did you actually see him or? Yeah, I did. I saw that same six point that was in that meadow. They bedded no more than 300 yards away from where we slept. It's amazing those, uh, amazing how those those bulls are just, those those elk didn't care, you know. That's the no. difference between a rifle and, a, and bow hunting. That's what I love about archery hunting is you get into animals, you see a lot more of them, you get them here and bugle. And when something happens, you shoot one or kill one, they're usually not too far off. They didn't run no. that far at all. Well, funny thing is you got a spooked. carcass sitting there right in the middle of the meadow, and here we're hunting basically within a few hundred yards of that meadow again. You mm-hmm. know, it's granted that meadow, that carcass is going to get hammered here in the next week or so. But, you know, those elk basically pushed out to the, I guess, the north end of that meadow, and we saw bedding areas. We saw a lot of signs of where those elk probably didn't go very far, you know, into that night. So. Yeah, and I think that's the thing with elk hunt is, you know, they're they're not really that pressured yet. So they're, or with archery hunting anyways, they're not really that pressured yet. Is you can kind of make a lot of movement. You can make some noise. They're kind of making noise. I mean, elk are a loud animal. There's no, it's not like yeah. a deer or anything else. Is Elk is loud. I mean, they're yeah. always making noise. They're chirping. They're bugling. They're breaking branches. They're rubbing stuff. They, you know, I mean, you can get in close to them, even like, you know, especially with these spikes. The spike can actually sit there and look at you. You Jesus. walk right by these things and they're like. Spikes need to be, there needs to be a spike season. <laughs> the funny thing is they used to be all, everything in Montana, all these areas were spikes. Yeah. Probably, what, six, seven years ago, Ben, somewhere in there, it was all uh, open spikes. I think people probably yeah, just smoking like, them left and right. More than that. The only downside is, is you take spikes, you're going to end up taking future bulls out of the yeah. gene pool. But, man, they are just curious as ever and dumber in a box of rocks they don't know how to bark they try to bugle <laughs> was, it, was that a spike that bugled yes. like in the yes. middle it's like it sounded like a frog dying or something we were we ben and i both looked at each <laughs> other like really did you just try to keep up with your uh, dad over there that was my new target bull when i heard that bull bugle and then he came walking out he was about a 14 inch spike <laughs> with velvet. proud of his velvet <laughs> proud of his velvet <laughs> Speaking of velvet, Nikolai, he picked up some velvet off a tree today. That was kind of neat. You don't see that very often. Yeah, when you guys yeah. came walking down the road, I was like, what is this kind of dead little squirrel rat thing that he yeah. finds in here? Unbelievable. Velvet doesn't last very long once the, you know, the, blood's, the blood supply's non-existent. Yeah, that was pretty. I looked at it and said, what the heck is that, Nick? Oh, that's velvet. Huh. Yeah, that was neat for sure. Yeah, and we had a little pack out this morning. Pack four quarters and all the loins and back straps and antlers out. That was a good little pack out. Yeah, mile yeah. back up. Mile, we packed our spike camp out first thing in the morning. Go up, regroup. Jeez, uh, what did we do? Empty our bags and yeah. grab some more water and headed, headed back right down. back down. Yeah. And then... Uh, Right back straight up. Hager got, well, I don't know, between Hager and Lucas, they got packer of the day. I don't know. Lucas had a front quarter, front quarter and a head. And uh, Tyler had a back quarter, the light back quarter. Nick had the big back quarter, and I had a uh, camera. Tripod. <laughs> and a tripod. Some mountain house, maybe. Okay. I had uh, half a bottle of Gatorade. And a front quarter that was the light. I think I had the light front quarters. Pampers wipes too, right? And, you know, because I'm from Montana, and Nick was from Montana, and these two boys were from sea level, so we figured we'd let them take the heavy loads. (laughs) Sea level. Thanks. Yes, I have been training at sea level for the last past nine years, and it does hurt every time I come up here. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Um, there's about a two-day acclimation period that you just have to grind through it to to get through and then this year you add the smoke to it and the heat too is another thing i mean it's amazing the heat just kind of takes it out of you um this year i 
I would say the temperature is probably average on the mountain in the probably low 80s. 80s? Yeah. yeah it's been hot. Nice. No rain in sight. We haven't had a... Yeah, it is dry of any, out there. Of any place that needs rain, I mean, you look at what's going on, you know, down south and all the hurricanes. I mean, it's like, can't you funnel some of that water up here and kill some of these yep. rainstorms that, and all these fires that we have going on? As we get... As we wow. get dessert, this is for burning these many calories today. Appreciate it. What do we got here? Is this mud pie? Mud pie. Sorry, Tyler, you don't get a fork. Thanks, you got to use your fingers. Oh, she gave me one. I got it. She already took oh. a bite off mine, though, I think. <laughs> wow, service. Mud pie, cake, Bud so, Light. So you got to enjoy this after being on the mountain for oh, a few yeah. days. So, which we're headed back up maybe tomorrow night, but we're going to go chase some antelope around. We got, you guys both got, well, we actually all three have archery antelope tags going on right yeah. now. And we know a pretty good spot just real close to the cabin here that we might be able to run down some big goats and hammer down on a goat try that out tomorrow and then yeah ben's back in for some milk he's got to go do some work you know you got to pay the bills to buy that good gear right oh yeah keep saving keep saving you got you got yetis you got matthews you got yetis matthews crispy crispy sitka zarovsky black ovis i you know my marina skivvies Optics, spend money. I did that. That's I'm a horn hunter, and we didn't mention this today that me and Nick did really well on horns today. We got well, we got three total over the weekend. Yeah, uh, last two days. You know what he texted me? A picture of another horn. He picked this up in Six Point Meadow today. <laughs> How did we miss that? How did we? That might wow. be the same bull you shot. I'll post that in the uh, in the show notes. Yeah, so we're pretty incredible. We're big horn hunters, and that's where I got my start on optics. Uh, way back in the day, I bought some cheaper optics. Then I went up to the uh, mid grade two hundred dollar ones. Uh, after a couple of years, they started failing. Then I went to Zorovskis. I've had those since two thousand five. SLCs or SLCs yeah. are a little heavy, ten by forty twos. But boy, these my hunting partners they show up with all the fancy stuff, and that's where I learn good equipment. And uh, mine are still doing the trick. Yeah, don't have a range finder in them, but that's okay. Yeah, I don't use my range finder anyway. I use my buddies to tell that's me how far right. it is. That's yeah. a rifle hunting. <laughs> that's well, you, you got a pretty good eye. Usually look at that and say that's forty six and a half. You and do shoot it and it's pretty pretty spot on. Yeah, I gotta arrange everything, otherwise I'll mess it up. Well, what do you guys think? We'll wrap it up for tonight, and uh, what we'll do is yeah. we'll probably get back on. Hopefully, we'll have a maybe an antelope down. We'll have a few more stories. Our plan is to try to get the rest of the guys on the on the horn and just kind of do a roundtable podcast and get everyone on. We've got a few other ones lined up while we're here. You know, our title sponsor, Ripcord, we're going to try to meet up with Keith, um, you know, and possibly Kevin if he's around and sit down with those guys and just talk about their business and kind of where Ripcord started and what it is today. And, you know, obviously it's a it's a rest that all of us believe in. We all use Ripcords and uh, believe in the in the in the uh, in the system that they have. So that'll be neat. And Ben, you've got a couple other companies and folks that you want to try to maybe line up while we're here yeah i try to get in with uh, rl winston and uh maybe create divide outfitters there and divide so yeah hopefully we got enough time we can catch those guys on a on a slow day yeah this is a busy time of year for all them guys oh, you're right yeah. yeah yeah for everybody too yeah. This is our big time of the year too, right? This is. We got September, a lot of big hunts coming up. Fall is fall is here and September's here and Yeah, crane season opens, I believe, September 9th. So <laughs> I'm just checking my calendar. How many people are excited about Sandhill crane season? I think so they got, give a hundred hundred license hundred uh people draw that tag. So you gotta get your game cameras down like here by two days before the season starts huh right just, just yeah. in case you got a few you got a few <laughs> big old what what do they even call a is it a is it a tom is it a 
Just go with a bull crane. Yeah. What do you count on a crane? The length of, of it, length of its legs or its beak or it's got to be the beak length. <laughs> you yeah. score its beak. It's got to be a fourteen incher. To... Yeah, that's a nice beak. Look at the beak on him. Well, it's a twelve foot and then some. Yeah. Oh Jesus. All right, folks. Well, <laughs> thanks for tuning in. We're going to go ahead and close down for the evening, and uh, we'll catch you guys for another adventure on the RNA Outdoors podcast. Thanks, boys, for coming on. Thanks, yeah, Lucas. Thanks, buddy. All right. Hey, everyone. This is Lucas Paw, host of the RNA Outdoors podcast. Please check out Podbean and iTunes. If you have an iPhone or iPad, go to the podcast app on your device, search for RNA Outdoors, and hit the purple subscribe button. When doing this, it will automatically upload when new podcasts are loaded and they will download into your queue. For Android users, you can access the podcast through Podbean, Stitcher, or use our website, www.rnaoutdoors.com forward slash podcast. In addition, under the RNA Outdoors podcast channel, please leave a review and a five-star rating. These reviews help boost our popularity and outreach. You can also follow us on our social media outlets, Twitter at RNA Outdoors, Facebook, RNA Outdoors, and Instagram, Rod and Arrow Outdoors. All links are in the show notes as well. If you like what you've heard, we hope you'll pass along our channel to your friends and colleagues. Keep up the good fight. We cannot sit by and watch the public lands devoted to wildlife protection wither away. There's simply too much at stake. Make your voice heard, speak up, and get involved with conservation efforts. And know that every little bit helps. As we say on the mountain, go farther, stay longer. <laughs>